the wise Sir Bedivere was the first to join King Arthur's knights. But other illustrious names were soon to follow. Sir Launcelot the Brave, Sir Galahad the Pure, and Sir Robin, the not quite so brave as Sir Launcelot, who had nearly fought the Dragon of Angnor, who had nearly stood up to the vicious Chicken of Bristol, and who had personally wet himself at the Battle of Baden Hill. And the aptly named Sir not appearing in this film. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies. And specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 68, and joining me this week to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail for the first time, Preston, a.k.a. BioCow. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Travis. How you doing? I am doing well. Uh, so you had never seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I'd never seen it for a full sit down from beginning to end i I know i've seen clips of it you know on youtube and things like that i've heard it quoted so many times yeah i mean it's impossible not to it's impossible to have not heard at least a quote from this movie at some point like exactly especially if you're a member of the tadpool like (laughs) yeah and i I even noticed things in there that i i had heard before and didn't realize they came from this movie so (laughs) that's always fun Yeah, yeah um how familiar are you with Monty Python as a whole? Was it just this one that you hadn't seen, or were you not much of a Monty Python viewer ever? I'm not much of a Monty Python fan in general. Okay. Uh, I, I've definitely seen some of the TV series um, and, and various shows that some of the characters have been in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Faulty Towers and things mm-hmm. like that, but I've never seen this one. I still haven't seen uh, The Life of Brian. Okay. I know there's others out there, so I'm just... I, never got full gung-ho into the Monty Python. And is it a, I mean, I'm just curious, is it, is it like a, not a big fan of British comedy or just Monty Python in general? Was it just something that just kind of slipped by you and you just, just never got into? Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure. It's not the British comedy thing because I, I definitely, like I said, I I like Faulty Towers, um, from what I saw, saw of it. I, I, even that, I don't think I've seen all the way through. I've seen clips here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a show called uh, "Are You Being Served," which oh, yeah. um, I really liked a lot, um, and absolutely fabulous. Ab Fab, uh, oh yeah, my wife turned turned me on to that one. So things like that, IT Crowd. But um, yeah, as far as you know, Monty Python, even the TV series. Like I said, I've seen a few episodes, uh, definitely some clips. You know, the the Ministry of Funny Walks and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just never really sat down and watched a whole lot of Monty Python in general. Okay. I mean, that's fair. You know, I basically got exposed to it pretty young um, and it immediately I took to this, the brand of absurd humor that they do. I, I'm a big fan. You mentioned a lot of um, British comedy TV shows that I've watched um, and enjoyed all of those. IT Crowd. Uh, if you like IT Crowd, you might also like one called Black Books is another um, really good sitcom uh, that came out. It has Bill Bailey in it and... Um, a lot of fun, uh, but I I got exposed to Monty Python through actually through their comedy albums first before I had seen any of the skits, and a lot of the comedy albums were skits that they used in Monty Python's Flying Circus that they would record, put on an album, put some songs on there. Um, so they did a lot of that. But 
this was their first this was not their first film this is actually the second film they did but it was the first narrative because the what they had done was after i think it was after the second season of monty python's flying circus they made a movie called and now for something completely different and it was basically just a repackaging of skits from the first two years done with a little bit better budget and then shown theatrically then they did this you can tell this is a first effort because it's very much a collection of skits with a loose plot Mm -hmm. holding them all together this is not in my opinion their best film that's the life of brian Um, i think that one is a better overall film this however is my personal favorite because it was the first some of the first monty python that i got exposed to and i love comedy troops so that for me is always fun when you see the same like five or six people playing multiple roles this actually was different in that um this was one of the few times where women played the female roles because in the show and in other movies and everything 90 percent of the female characters are also played by the pythons so you might see graham chapman in a wig or here you had terry jones playing the one character's mother um the scene where that that was a very common thing terry jones played a lot of like mothers and older women characters so that was a thing they did a lot of um and it was always funny to see them do it in uh in the series in, in monty python's flying circus because they would be like you know four of them as like old women in a house somewhere i don't know complaining about mm-hmm. something or, or whatever it was like that was just the thing they always played multiple characters this yeah, happened very, to be kids in the hall you know yes uh, i was a big fan of that too and so very similar it was just the five guys and and whenever they had a women's role when it would just pick it up mm-hmm. so. yeah yep absolutely um this was a bit of a departure for them because graham chapman played the character of king arthur he was in so many scenes he played the fewest characters he only played a couple of other characters a couple of my favorites so i love the hiccuping guard mm-hmm. so that that scene alone i really like because it's very throwback abbott and costello style humor but then it's got this absurd thing of like the one guard just hiccuping all the time and like people kind of paying attention to it, but not drawing attention to it until the very end. I love that kind of stuff. I think for me, what made Monty Python work so well, and you get a sense of it in this movie because of the styles of skits that they did, their humor could be silly slapstick physical humor, or it would be like wordplay humor or some combination of the two they were really able to to vary it up they didn't do the same the same gag every time um and i really appreciate that because that's hard to do it's hard to be funny in multiple ways usually you get somebody who i mean abbott and costello were usually funny because they were it was the playoff of words between them and the confusion which the, the pythons wrote great stuff for that but then they could also do something silly like drop a giant cow on somebody (laughs) Which I, I have some problems with, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, definitely. It, it was, um, there's definitely some good back and forth banter. You know, the um, one of the, the earlier scenes about the uh, swallow and the coconut. And, and <laughs> yeah. I think it's the very first scene, actually. Like, where did you get the coconut from? And that, yep. that type of thing. Uh, definitely back and forth. Uh, for me, it it almost it almost wasn't fast enough. Like Abbott and Costello is very quick banter and humor. And that's, that's really what I, I think I'm drawn to more. Um, in fact, um, we having run out of things to watch, my wife and I are going back and watching robot chicken, 
Oh, and yeah. it's that kind of humor that's just like, you know, get in, hit you in the face and get right back out. And whereas Monty Python, at least the Holy Grail, was extended humor. It, it, it really dragged on. And I think that that kind of killed it for me, um, unfortunately. So <laughs> um, I can appreciate it. But um, yeah, it's. It, I, I definitely like the, the quicker, faster jokes, or the or the one-offs, much better than the the ridiculous drawing out of of something that was going on. I could understand that, and I think some of it is that there's like layers of things happening at once, and on a first viewing, you might miss some stuff. It when I've seen this movie so many times now, I can't count it. I mean, I literally in my sophomore year English class, we studied Arthurian legend, and we did a project based around this and Doctor Who and mesh the okay. two together um, using this as like some of our research. So, you know, we were pulling clips from it and making fun of, you know, poking fun at it as part of our project. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've done that much with it, but I've seen it so many times now that I start looking at stuff going on in the background and you see extra layers of like silly, absurd things. The scene and we got a couple of people in the chat room bringing up the bring out your dead, which that's mm-hmm. a that's yeah. a very famous just that bring out your dad and he's hitting the triangle over and over. If you right. pay attention to all the background when they're walking through the city, it gets funnier every time. There's a woman sitting there just beating a cat against a wall like a like she's uh-huh. like knocking the dust off of a rug, which is a gag that gets played again later on. You see the same thing. Right. And you just hear that silly cat noise. Like there's there's silly stuff like that going on all over the place. You're right though in that it is there is a little bit more setup to it. They kind of let things linger and build in a different way. And so I can understand why that, you know, it doesn't work uh, on all levels. Um, A good example of that is Lancelot running up to the swamp castle. Um, Mm -hmm. That joke, that joke works because they, they let it build and build and build and build. And it's so silly by the end of it, but it, it you do have to like wait it out and it's almost they they it's like they almost give it one rotation too many right know? yeah which for me i like because it's like okay here's the pay nope not the payoff yet now you get it and they kind of it's playing with the comedic timing um right yeah it also has my favorite reaction which is the other guard in that the guy gets stabbed and oh, right. Lancelot runs past mm-hmm. him the guy's like hey <laughs> actually that that whole scene um of him beginning with him running towards the castle and then, you know, going through and slaying uh, wedding guests and <laughs> everyone left and right. And <laughs> that actually was pretty funny, even to the point where he runs up into the, uh, the tall tower where the two guards are supposed to, um, you know, be guarding the, the prince, I guess. And uh, he runs in and stabs. What is it? He runs in and one of them says, uh, we didn't let him go and gets stabbed immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that actually made me laugh because that was a really quick humor referencing back to earlier the long, repetitive conversation of, so we're not supposed to let anybody in. No, you're not supposed to let him out. Okay, yeah. So we don't let you out. No, I can go out. You can't let him out. You know. So that, that whole thing, that kind of comedy for me was just kind of tedious. <laughs> but the, the quick one-offs are, are, are the payoffs I like uh, personally. So. Yeah, and that's that that is very much a... Um... It all depends on who wrote the which segment of it. So I think, mm-hmm. if I remember right, the a lot of the cat the swamp castle stuff was written by 
um, John Cleese, who plays Sir Lancelot. That's why he mm-hmm. was. They I read some stuff about. Um, they were saying basically we did the casting based off who wrote what parts. So he's like, I wrote a lot of the Sir Galahad stuff. Michael Palin did. So I was cast as Galahad. We all sort of wrote a lot of Lancelot, but it felt right for John to play that. So we had him there, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think because Cleese talked about that scene, the the don't let him leave the room joke was one of his favorites because the way they shot it was just a camera pointed at three people and let the joke happen. They didn't do a lot of like camera work with it Um, because that's one thing I want to talk a little bit more about the, the cast, but then production on this one was interesting um but i i mean the thing for me with monty python is it's just this weird brand of humor not and it's not always laugh out loud which i think mm-hmm. is it's tougher sometimes to to get into that when you've heard for years and years and years how good monty python is and you, you hear it by reputation and then you see it and you realize well some of it is laugh out loud some of it is right. like you have to think about it before it becomes funny because um, that's that's absurdist humor. Like a lot of times it's you realize after the fact or you see it a second time, you're like, oh, now I get why that's funny. Um, right. But so filming this, this was, like I said, their first kind of feature film and it was co-directed. So two of the char- two of the actors, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones, directed this. Uh, Terry Jones was the one that he played Sir Bedivere. Um, he was mm-hmm. the prince in the Swamp Castle, that whatnot. Terry Gilliam was Patsy with the coconuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the only American of the Monty Python troupe. He's actually born in Minnesota, I think. Um, right. So so it was the two of them directing for the first time. It's the only time they ever co-directed. And after that, because of... Basically, all of the Pythons say this was the worst experience filming a movie ever. Um, <laughs> some of it was they shot almost all of it on location in Scotland, um, which, as John Cleese described, gets warm, pleasant weather for about two weeks every September. So that, it was cold. That, yeah. It was, it was cold and wet. Say, it's much like the weather here. I'm in Seattle, and we yeah. we just got spring like this weekend or last weekend. So. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, um, I, I could definitely tell the the sets, uh, Scotland, and and the dreariness and and everything. It just, it did feel pretty good, but it must have been miserable for recording and taping. You know. Yeah, and um, what was it? So Terry Gilliam had never directed before, and he was really focused on the um, kind of technical aspects of making the film, so blocking and all of that, and all the animation stuff that's done in this, all that kind of cutout animation, that's Terry Gilliam. That was his big contribution to Monty Python is he did that in, in flying circus and all of the movies that was always him. So that was one of the things was he was treating the actors like his little cutouts. And so he kept trying to place them where he wanted and get the shots just right. And meanwhile, you had Terry Jones, who was the other director who was focusing on making it funny. So you had these two different directing styles Neither one of them had any directing experience. They were learning basically on the job. They had a very small budget. I think the budget for this was something like 200,000 British pounds at the time. Um, wow. <laughs> they ended up getting a little bit. 75, right? Yeah. So it was released in 75, so probably 74. Yeah, it was 74 they were filming. They did get a little extra money from some interesting sources. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and Genesis 
all contributed to the movie's budget because really? their their record labels uh, they were on the same record label that um, Python released their comedy albums on, I think, or there was some sort of a crossover there. And basically, they got convinced to do it um, almost as a tax write-off. So, hmm. but Pink Floyd was a big fan. Uh, were big fans of the show. Like they would take breaks from recording to watch Monty Python's Flying Circus. So they they used some uh, funds from the Dark Side of the Moon to help fund this movie. Wow, I had not heard that. Yeah, so that I thought was really cool. Like that's some kind of neat, uh, you know. Hey, yeah, we had Led Zeppelin back us, right? I mean, and Monty Python was huge at this point. Um, and even with all that, they had no money. So the horse gag, the, the coconut shells was because they didn't have the budget for horses. They were originally going to have everybody riding horses and they just, they had no money for it. So they decided to go with the gag of using the coconut shells, which was an old radio trick. Um, right. And I'm glad they did because honestly, it's so much better. It's so, it's so ridiculous to have, and to play it earnestly, like throughout the entire movie, King Arthur is acting and miming like he's riding a horse, just galloping along <laughs> on his own. And that, to me, that right. is hilarious. Um, yeah, even at one point, they all dismount at the same time. And say, yes. And we have to go on foot from here. Yeah, the, the horses are spooked and all, the, all of them are, oh, I, like that to me is great. Um, <laughs> uh, pardon me. Um so interestingly, uh, the Black Knight was voiced by John Cleese. He was actually in the armor. And Terry Gilliam was the Green Knight. And they did their own stunts for that fight. Uh, hmm. In part because they thought it would be fun. So they learned the choreography <laughs> for it and they just did it. Uh, it also probably was cheaper than hiring stunt people for that particular oh, scene. Yeah. So, And there's definitely parts you can see that low budget. Like um, when all the, uh, the animals are getting launched over the wall from the French castle. Um, you know, you can tell they're all fake and, and how fake they are. You can see like the cheapness of a lot of stuff. What was interesting was all those castles that they visit, they only had, I think it was like two actual castles that they could use. So they just kept shooting the same castles from different angles. I was going to say, I could see them doing that. It's just, let's film on this wall for this scene and that wall for that one. Yeah. And if you kind of pay attention, you'll see like even locations um so there's a moment where the knights are all riding by a creek and there's just a guy in the background beating the water with a stick of wood which again is one of those just ridiculous background gags that mm. if you watch it again you'll see it he's literally just slapping the water with a piece of wood but then later on in the movie though they go by in a different direction and it looks like the exact same creek so they were even shooting stuff like that but some of the wide shots of castles were cardboard cutouts that they would um, suspend and then Matt uh, have in the background. And in mm -hmm. the trailer, they used a gag because the, the cardboard cutouts kept falling over from the wind. <laughs> so yeah. in the trailer, there's a gag where King Arthur is knighting somebody. And he and as he's knighting him, the castle falls down in the background and he just takes a sword, <laughs> stabs him and walks away. Okay. I did so. not see the trailer or that trailer apparently, but um, even even in the movie they reference uh, uh, what do they say? They say, "Oh, don't worry about that. It's just a just a set or oh yeah, it's it's only a model." Right? Yep. Yeah. So that that's funny. So Terry Gilliam plays Patsy. That's his. That's Patsy's only uh, spoken line in the movie. Is it's only a model. Originally, Terry Gilliam was going to play Sir Gawain, 
they when they first wrote the script and Gawain was going to make a bunch of fourth wall references to like the technical aspects of making the movie. So okay. that's all that remains of that bit was the, well, it's only a model. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So that, that kind of gives you an idea of how absurd they can go sometimes because they have some of that yeah. fourth wall break stuff um, with like the, the, you know, a famous historian and then he gets killed and there's like, right. They just keep referencing back to that. Um, See, and that's that, another, that's I, another one of those that like I, it, it built for a while. It, it built, but each joke in it was, was a quick hit for me. So, so especially like, uh, was it, I forget who it was that sliced him with a sword, but somebody went riding by and sliced him. And that was such a shock and a surprise. <laughs> I, it had me actually laughing uh, pretty well. So yeah. Yep. And then, but, but yeah. And I, and I do appreciate a, a running gag. So, um, yeah, the the historian throughout the movie, and uh, uh, I was going to think of another example, and I can't think of what that one was, but yeah, uh, running definitely running gags are are, are funny, but um, every once in a while, you know, uh, the same joke running three and four and five minutes too long. That's that's kind of where I, I was. It was losing me just a little bit. I can see that. I, I can, and I think some of that is they they were coming from a TV background and trying right. to pad out stuff to a feature length, even if it's essentially just skits. So that can happen. And the hardest part is I've done sketch comedy like that. I did um, on public access cable here uh, mm-hmm. in my hometown. And the hardest part, and I've heard this in interviews with Kids in the Hall, with Monty Python, we always had trouble with it, coming up with endings. Endings are always the hardest thing. Like You can get a great setup, but then how do you end the skit? And you can see a lot of that in this because there'll be, and that was actually where the joke in flying circus and now for something completely different came from, because that was their, their get out of jail free. They would be in the middle of a skit and they just cut to John Cleese sitting at a news desk, say now for something completely different. And they'd go on to something else. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's part of why the ending of the movie was what it was because they had scripted and written out like a giant battle between the, the army and the French with, I think the, the killer rabbit was supposed to come back and they just oh, didn't wow. have the money. They didn't have the money for it. So like, okay, we can't do that. How are we going to end this? And they're like, uh, we could just have Arthur get arrested and fade your cut to black. And that's what they did. <laughs> yeah. So, which kind of fit in with that running gag of the historian and you know, yeah, I, so it ended up working. Worked. Exactly. I do think it's funny too. You bring up, you know, jokes maybe going on too long, and they have in the middle of the movie a get on with it moment, right? Which yeah. I love that because for me, having seen it as many times as I have, it's hilarious for that to come up. It had to be a little weird seeing it for the first time, and like you've got characters that you haven't even seen in the movie yet that they're referencing. Like you see Tim the Enchanter for the first time there, yeah, right? Um, and then he shows up, whatever it is, like half an hour later. Um, which was another another one of those fun characters that gets quoted a lot. You know, there are those who call me Tim. <laughs> uh, it's just, for me, Monty Python plays really well. But again, I've got, some of it is nostalgia. I've watched so much of it. Mm-hmm. And some of it is, I don't mind a joke marinating a little bit. It can go too long. And there are definitely bits that go too long. But mm-hmm. uh, on for me, the balance works out. Um I'm trying to think now. What was another? Um, John Cleese and Terry Jones performed, or Terry Gilliam, sorry, performed all their stunts during the duel between the Black and Green Knight. 
oh, Graham Chapman was the only one actually wearing chainmail throughout the whole thing. Um, he was wearing real chainmail, weighed about twenty five pounds, and wow. everyone else was wearing wool that was painted to look like metal. So, which is crazy to think about. Number one, wearing that chainmail, but number two, he was dealing with like severe alcoholism at this point in his life, and um, it was a really tough shoot for him personally because he was trying to not drink during it and the first thing they shot on location was that bridge and you know how they have in the movie they're showing them starting to cross the bridge and then it cuts that intermission and then they're on the other side of it right that was out of necessity because graham chapman couldn't cross the bridge he was having dts and he was shaking and he was freaking out so they had like the first assistant director dress up as him and cross the bridge and they ended up having to cut parts of it. So, um, wow. but that was the very first thing they did, but I guess he was, he was having some real problems with alcoholism at the time. And so it made, made shooting even more tense. So they're already doing kind of their first feature film. Now they're shooting in, you know, cold and wet Scotland. Uh, the hotel they stayed at didn't have, um, much in the way of hot water and baths. So every night after they get done shooting, it was a race to get back to the hotel to take a shower. You had Graham Chapman dealing with alcoholism and couldn't remember half of his lines. You have two rookie directors. One And it was contentious. Um, according to Terry Jones, this so the scene where um, Concord gets shot with the arrow, mm-hmm. uh, they shot that 28 times. The second take was perfect. But the cameraman noticed there was like smoke in the background, so they kept they kept shooting it. And finally, John Cleese was like, "Was the smoke funny enough? Can we move on to something else?" Because he he's <laughs> he's famously contentious anyway. He likes to right. He, he's just combative. So I just can't. It's amazing this movie got made at all and is funny at all. Um, to be honest, when you re- start reading some of the back uh, backstory, a really really good documentary if you want to learn about Monty Python. Um, and this is for you, Preston, or anybody out there. There's one on Netflix right now called Almost the Truth. Um, and it's a history of Monty Python as a comedy troupe and as creators from when they were kids on up through doing um, The Meaning of Life, which was their last film. Because I think, wow. I can't remember if it was how long after that movie was when Graham Chapman passed away. But um, it's a really great documentary because you get a good insight into kind of their process, what they thought about, what they did, um, why they had some of the humor that they did. Um, and there's a whole, I think there's an entire episode on this movie and on life of Brian. Um, and if you like the humor in this at all, I do recommend life of Brian because it's, I think a better tighter film. There's still a little bit of the kind of stretching of jokes um it's not mm-hmm. it's never going to be as quick hitting as some other comedy styles but right. life of brian definitely has um a tighter more cohesive story and i think overall is the better film so okay. i do recommend that there's a lot of monty python on netflix so they've got i think the only they don't have uh the meaning of life which honestly you're not missing much not watching that one that's a weaker movie in my opinion um I've never even heard of that one. <laughs> that was the last one that they did, and it's got some funny moments in it. But overall, I just it's it's more of a collection of skits in presentation with no real thread, and okay. it's fine if you're a fan of Monty Python. But if you're kind of on the fence, see Life of Brian, maybe watch some of uh, Flying Circus or you know 
they have like a best of where they get some of the better skits and take out. Cause there's always filler in that too. There'd be skits right. that aren't as funny. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd been meaning to watch the life of Brian as well. Cause I, I have heard that that one was good. Um, I had forgotten about, uh, meaning of life. That was the other, like when I think of Monty Python, I think of those three, yeah. Holy grail life, of Brian and meaning of life. And I, I never heard about that other one you, you mentioned. Uh, yeah, that was meaning of life. Already. Oh, no, and now for meaning of life was one and now for something completely different was was no. one that yeah that was literally just skits from flying circus re reshot okay. so they have like a different version of the parrot sketch or a different version of uh i can't remember what the other one was but basically it's just a bunch of a bunch of sketches that they repackage and then put out as a feature film okay um some funny stuff. The Japanese release of Holy Grail was uh, translated as the Holy Sake Cup. <laughs> that, to me, is hilarious. Um, That's appropriate, yeah. Yes. Makes sense. Uh, 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 the movie's abrupt ending came about because they didn't have enough budget. Um, disagreements between Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. So moving forward, Terry Jones directed all their their movies after that, and Terry Gilliam went on to be a director himself. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're if you're much of a fan of his movies or if you know of any of them, but you've probably seen at least one. Um, he uh, went on I to do. I Bandits. Uh, okay, long yep. ago, and I've been meaning to watch it again because it's been since I was a child since I've seen it. But yeah, um, Time Bandits. Um, I know he's done other things, and I've probably seen them. And yeah, Brazil was one. Um, oh, Brazil! Yeah, that's true. Brazil, Twelve Monkeys, um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, let's oh, see wow. what was the Fisher King. Um, uh, uh, Brothers Grimm was one that he did. Um, wow. I didn't I'm, was him. Yeah, I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan as a director. We've covered Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas on this show a while back. Um, mm-hmm. And I like his style because it's just weird. Uh, in fact, Brothers Grimm was the first movie of his I saw where after the first time I saw it, I was like, I get it. I don't have to see it a second time to try and figure out what's going on. I still have questions about Brazil and I've seen that movie probably 10 times, <laughs> you know, he just, right. he, he's a weird cat. Like his brain works different than a lot of people. Um, he finally got to do, he made, he was working on a movie called the man who killed Don Quixote and it never got made. It finally, um, came out, I think is called man of La Mancha, but there was a documentary about his initial try at making it. That is, one of my favorite movie documentaries ever because I've never seen so much go so wrong making a movie. They literally had a storm come through and change the landscape of their location to where they couldn't use it, any of the footage that they had. Um, wow. It's just insane. That one's called Lost in La Mancha. Um, and I don't think that's streaming anywhere right now, but that's if you like film documentaries, that's one I recommend too. Okay. I'll just look at that one, yeah. So... Overall, would you say you liked the movie or was it kind of a, did it sort of fall flat for you? Um, overall, I think it fell a little flat for me. Um, I even, I told my friend uh, that I was watching it. And he's like, you've never seen it? Because he's, he, he's probably going to be listening to this at some point, but he's uh, one of my best friends since uh, childhood. And he's, he's always been the, the one with the, you know, huge boxes of comic books and, mm-hmm. uh, reading star trek novels and really into uh monty python and things like that and so um i was i was never 
that guy when I was young. Uh, you know, I was never that that I'd say nerdy. I'm I'm more geeky with like computers and that kind of stuff. Uh, okay. But I was never the comic book nerd or the the you know Star Trek or even Star Wars nerd. So, um, but when I when I told him that I didn't quite care for it and it kind of fell flat he was like yeah i could see that and and even he was like it's more of a, a comfort thing you know now that kind of puts on or or we'll watch uh, because like like you he's seen it a million times and he knows mm-hmm. all the nuances and the subtleties that are going on in the background and things like that which i i did watch it twice i watched it once last weekend in, in prep for this podcast and once again today and even the second watching i did pick up a couple things i didn't see before the first mm-hmm. time so I could see how it's it, the more you watch it, the more you're going to uh, s- catch those uh, subtleties and, and jokes that are not, they're not in your face jokes. They're off to the side or in the background. So. Yeah. They're the ones that you have to think about a second time. Um, that right, makes exactly. sense. I, I kind of get that. Like I know, I know that at least some of my love of this is because it, I saw it at an age and it was very impressionable for me and it, it really sunk in. And so it's, it's that comfort food factor of like, I know it. So I get that. Um, I do wonder, like, with comedy, I think this happens, but I, I know it happens with movies. I wonder what your thoughts would be on it if you had seen it, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago or something when you were younger and maybe got into it at that point. How different, like how your tastes have changed over the years mm-hmm. and how that plays into it. Because, you know, it makes you wonder, like, you know, faulty towers is something maybe you saw when you were younger but if you if you were seeing it for the first time right now how different would that be so that's part of what i like about doing this show is for me i love monty python but i i need to be able to like separate myself from my um love of it when i talk to somebody because if you haven't seen it before i can completely understand how not all the humor is going to land and if not all the humor is going to land in a comedy that is basically a joke every 10 seconds you know it's it's not going to work, um, right? So yeah, um, I mean, would you would you say having not watched a lot of Monty Python in general, you still would be interested in seeing more of it? Or um, yeah, like I said, I, definitely Life of Brian is is on my list of things that I'd like to see. Um, uh, I don't know, less so the meaning of life, just because I've I hear more good things about life of brian that that's kind of like the one of their oh definitely of the three that's the best one so I, you even confirmed that so um but yeah I, I i definitely would watch life of brian so um i just don't know if i'm ever going to be a huge as huge a fan as as some of the diehard you know people out there so yeah and and some of that is just it's not ingrained if you i think humor is something that you get early on and you find and cultivate your brand of humor. And mm-hmm. what's going to work for you, you're going to continue to enjoy as you get older. And it's harder and harder to co- in- incorporate other styles of humor. Uh, and especially especially given that comedy is so much about timing. And if you, are really, if you really connect with that kind of rapid-fire, hard-hitting, fast-paced comedy... Mm-hmm slower paced comedy is just not going to work for you. So I can, I can see that. And it, and the, the further along in life you get, the harder it is to then integrate that type of comedic timing into something that's going to work for you. Um, mm-hmm. 
having said that, man, there are some great uh, lines in this. I love the stuff with Robin's minstrels, um, the the you know them singing in the background. Uh, for me, singing about how he's a chicken and running yeah. away. Well, because they yeah. started off with the song talking about all the brave things he's going to do and how he's going to get maimed right. and killed, and then they switch it around to you know how he runs away. Um, and if you notice, his shield's got a giant chicken on it. Oh yeah, yeah, I did notice that. That's great. <laughs> um, they have the whole scene with uh, the it, during the whole scene with the witch. Um, that was that's got some great humor in it. But what I thought was funny is the the moment where. Um, John Cleese's character I can't remember which line it is now that he says but he's got a very long pause before he says it and mm-hmm. what he would do apparently was every take he would vary up the timing so sometimes he'd do it really quickly sometimes he'd wait longer and if you watch it again pay attention to the other two guys and watch them losing and breaking character because they just keep waiting. Like the one guy starts looking down away from the camera and Eric Idle starts like biting on the scythe that he's got, trying to keep himself from laughing. <laughs> and they do stuff like that all the time. But that's a that's a good one. Yeah, I will say out of the entire movie, I would say that the witch scene is probably my favorite. Just because it's uh, that's where the ridiculous comedy hit the hardest for me because it's just... You know, well, see if she floats, and what else floats? Wood floats, and, or wood, wood burns. So yeah, she, yeah, wood burns and wood floats, and ducks float. So if she weighs as much so, as a duck, she's made out of wood, and therefore she's a witch. She's a witch. Yes, Makes, that's but perfectly even, logical. What's leading up to that is the guy is like, he, he's like, they're like, well, that means she's a witch. She's like, no, because wood <laughs> also burns. Like. You're like, oh, he's being logical here. And then all of a sudden, like, they get into the whole duck thing. And he's like, yep, that means she's a witch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, wait, no, you were being very logical a minute ago. And now you're being ridiculous. And her reaction <laughs> to it is great, too. When she ends oh, up weighing yeah. as much as the duck and she's just like, eh, all right. It's a yeah, fair cop. Can't argue with that. <laughs> can't argue with the science. Yeah. And that one's got some great moments where they're like, what What do we burn besides witches? More witches. Yeah. And he's got to like calm them down. Yeah, that oh, that scene. Everything that floats, all the things that <laughs> yes. float. Well, yeah, mud floats. Uh, uh, castle, castle floats. Uh... Oh, and like, uh, I mean, there's what I love are some of the moments inside of scenes, like um, in the the swamp castle where the father Michael Palin is is talking about. He's like, they all told me I was daft to build my castle in a swamp, but I did it anyway, and it sank into the swamp. So I built a second one. <laughs> that one sank into the swamp too. And I built a third one. And you're thinking, again, it's rule of threes, right, in comedy. So the third one, that burned down, fell over, and then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one is still standing. And he's so <laughs> proud of that. Um, it's, it's stuff like that. It's those, those little moments. The, um, the huge tracts of land uh, is a great line. Um, yeah. Or even silly stuff like uh, he tells them, you know, one day, boy, all of this will be yours. And he's like, what, the curtains? Because he just can't see beyond what's in front of his face. And they keep making the joke about musicals. He wants oh, to break right, into yeah. song. It's Their fourth wall breaks I do enjoy because I don't know what it is about. They're, they're like a more subtle fourth wall break at times. Like that, that for instance, is a, is a great fourth wall in that 
he he's not directly addressing the audience. He's just telling everyone else, like, no, 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 we're not doing that kind of a movie, basically, is right. what his character's trying to say. So they're self-aware yeah, in, in that way. Pretty good. I, I was like, oh, no, he's going to sing again. He's, and the father's like, no, 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 not like this. <laughs> or, uh, and I captured... I captured so much audio this and I ended up only putting like maybe half of it on my soundboard. Um, but there were so many clips and I've seen it enough times that I was able to kind of stop every few minutes and record and mark it and move on. But, um, yeah, you know what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. But I love like stuff like this one. Oh, you, I'm your son. no, not you. I'm your son. Um, <laughs> and, and I have, I have now anytime somebody has a crazy, uh, a crazy theory or um you know they don't like something that i just can't i can't understand i can you're a loony anytime <laughs> the black knight scene is pretty funny too i i have to say that but, like yeah that's probably one of the more famous ones because i've definitely seen that and uh you know heard it quoted or even I, i'm sure i've probably quoted it before it's just a flesh wound yeah uh so that one kind of neat thing about them shooting that scene. So I mentioned earlier how it was John Cleese and Terry Gilliam as the two knights. Um, when he gets his one leg cut off. Um, so you can obviously tell when the arms cut off, he's just got his arms in tucked in. Um, right. You know, and it's, it's a violent scene, but it's so cartoonishly violent that it like, I don't, I never got bothered by that. Even when I was a kid watching it and even my parents kind of understood like, Yes, it's violent, but at the same time, it's just so outlandishly over the top that you can't really take it seriously. But the leg, the one leg, they actually had a one-legged actor. Um, he was a like some kind of a local silversmith or something, and they brought him in and put him in the gear to do those shots, which I thought I was, was wondering kind of neat. about. That. Yeah. Plus, that had uh, tucked yeah. up in there somewhere. Or something. Yeah. Plus, it had some great lines. You know, tis but a scratch. I think I have the flesh wound one too. Yes. Just a flesh wound. Or just a flesh wound. I love the way John Cleese does his Scottish accent and says the word grail as Tim the Enchanter. A grail? I don't know why, but I just love the way he says that. Um, they had, of course. Uh, John, going into this, John Cleese. I mean, I've I've always loved everything else he's been in, mm -hmm. so I knew I was at least like his bits. And and uh, yeah, he was definitely um, one of the one of the better parts of the movie, I would say. Um, yeah, no, definitely, he's he's hilarious. Uh, and it has this line, which there's T-shirts that use this um, now. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords, is no basis for a system of government. <laughs> yes. And that, that scene is like the, it's the antithesis of the Black Knight scene. So the Black Knight scene is all the physical comedy. And then you turn right around and you have this scene where it's all wordplay. It's all just political jargon getting thrown at you by Michael Palin. And to me, that that's what the strength of Monty Python was, was to be able to do both of those and do them well. Because um, you have to, I mean... Even if the jokes don't land, it's it's one of those things where it's like you can respect the humor. Like there's humor out there that I don't get, but I can respect, you know, they're good at what they do. It's just not my brand of humor. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I very rarely run into somebody who's like, yeah, the, you know, Monty Python, like I hated it. It's usually a, eh, it just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And um, like I said, I mean, I've definitely 
seen bits and, and laughed at them and, and heard quotes and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the the one I was un, unfamiliar with is that scene, I think, where they're, they were talking about politics, uh, the anarcho-syndistic uh, commune, yeah. et cetera. Um, so what's funny is as I was watching it last weekend, there's, there's a thing going on in Seattle here where some protesters have taken over like two by six block area. Mm-hmm. And they are they're calling it the Chaz because it's called Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Oh right. And uh, I don't know if you saw this news story, but Fox News. I don't. Uh, sorry to get a little political here. Fox News picked up a story because they somebody had written on the group's uh, Reddit page, um, talking about the the uh, protest zone, and they said uh, it's an <laughs> our, our, anarcho syndicalist uh, commune. I think is yes, what it is. Yes, commune. Mm-hmm. At the least, we should we take turns and act as sort of an executive officer for a week. Yes. And Fox News picked that up and thought it was real. They didn't catch that it was just a joke post. Yeah. And uh, um, even John Cleese went on Twitter and was just like berating Fox News for that, saying, these guys are obviously not fans of Monty Python, or else they would have known. Yeah, I did. I I don't mind going there um, because I wanted to mention that as well. So I'm glad that you brought it up because it's obviously oh, yeah. poignant for you where you live. Um, but yeah, I mean that, and that gives you an idea of the sort of pervasiveness of Monty Python in popular culture when right. it's getting brought up in those kinds of situations. Right, even as a joke, it's still getting brought up, and now you know people are are getting a Monty Python reference and they don't even realize it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they always did stuff like that. They had a lot of that kind of towing the line of political humor by basically just to, to quote a British phrase, taking the piss out of it. Um, they would do that a lot. And that's basically what that scene is. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's for me, it's one of my favorite comedy movies ever, but again, I'm mm-hmm. a huge Monty Python fan. So it, it's something that uh, that fits for me quite a bit. It, uh, and uh, from what we've discovered, it didn't land for you. But it sounds like you at least you you get kind of where people are coming from with their like of it. It's just not your brand of humor. Yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, I didn't hate it or anything like that. It was just more of like uh, I thought I'd be you know laughing and 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 you know laughing out loud even. And and very few things actually made me do that. But like you said, it's not quite. It's more thinking man's humor than you know laugh out loud humor yeah which is Uh, really it's weird to think of it that way because you're talking about a movie where they have a trojan rabbit right right? they have it's so it's so absurd but yet you do have to think about it too yes the 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 other thing that i was new to me i i'd always heard of the knights who say knee and and you know we are the knights who say knee and, and that type of thing one thing I never knew until I actually watched the movie is that the word knee is a weapon. Oh uh, yeah. And that they use, that they wield. And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And, and continuing on a little bit later, a second scene with them, I did not realize that uh, it was a weapon oh, either, but yeah, uh, yeah, that was completely new to me that whole it scene. So. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that I kind of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I was just saying. So, I, so in that sense, I'm glad I did watch it um, because I, I've learned more about it and more about the 
humor and the jokes that I've heard of in the past. And it just, it sheds more light on that for me. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and it, and I think it's something too, that it sounds like while the humor doesn't necessarily land for you, I think if you watch more of it, more of Monty Python or that style of absurd humor, that it might become something. Cause it, it doesn't sound like it's completely divergent from what you would find to be funny, but mm-hmm. some of it is expectations versus reality, right? It, this movie is 40-something years old now. So it's not like it's a movie that's been around for three or four years that people have been talking about. You've got 40 years of people mentioning it and talking about it and Monty Python being sort of on this upper echelon of comedy troops that you get some of that expectation of, oh, I'm just gonna, this is going to be a laugh a minute. And if it's not immediately the style of humor that you're familiar with, you're not going to, it's not going to land like that. And then you're going to be like, well, okay, so this was a thing. Uh, I had the same thing last week watching Dirty Dancing for the first time. I'm not the target audience for that movie, but I was like, it's a movie. You know, I don't ever have to watch it again, but I can I can appreciate that it was a movie that a lot of people, it meant something for them. So it's kind of kind of like that. I, I do think that, I feel like had you seen this at a, young, a younger age, that it would have had a different impact, um, you know, for sure. But it's hard to say. And you didn't. You saw it now, um, which... Hey, I'm happy to have said, uh, I'm just glad I happened to look in the discord that day and see that <laughs> So it worked out. <laughs> it's all, um, yeah, it's all your fault. It is all my <clears> fault. <throat> no, I, I, uh, I agree that probably if I had seen it when I was younger, um, it probably would have helped. I, I, uh, without giving away my age, let's just say that, um, as they were filming this, I wasn't even born yet, but by the time it was released, I had been. So that'll give you an idea. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I wasn't too far behind. I uh, I was born in 81, so I was a few years. Oh, sorry. That, I don't know if you heard that, but I ex- almost clicked on something. Um, That's okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, definitely see Life of Brian. Um, go into that one also with a pretty open mind. Uh, I don't know where you fall on the religious views, but um, definitely know that the premise of the movie is um, centered around somebody who is mistaken as the Messiah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that'll, that'll get you going uh, for that. That kind of gives you at least enough of a primer to know where, what direction they're going to go in. So um, irreverent humor is what I would call it. Uh, um, yeah. Um, a movie I've been considering watching again recently was uh, dogma. So I, Oh, okay. Not not opposed to anything like that. So. That's that's <laughs> fine. That was one I got to show somebody for the first time uh, just a few weeks ago, and oh, really, I love Dogma. Um, but I I enjoy in part because Dogma, you can tell, was written and directed by somebody who grew up a Catholic, right? And so the way the humor hits is like irreverent, but not mean spirited. I guess would be mm-hmm. the way I would put it. Um, and to an extent that's kind of life of Brian does some of that. So, um, but as a film, as a, as a narrative film, life of Brian is better than this. Um, but for me, this is my favorite Monty Python. This is some of my favorite Monty Python period. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. it's, again, it just comes down to how much I've seen it. Although I tell you, there's some amazingly, uh, funny skits in flying circus that you have to, you do have to be prepared for a joke to have to kind of marinate a little bit. So, you know, that's that's just their style. That's their comedy style is to do that. Um, 
But overall, uh, I mean, I recommend this movie. I'm glad that you got to see it for the first time and you at least didn't hate it. So I call that a win. <laughs> hey, I, I watched it twice so that there's that at least, you know. I, That's I, true. I could stomach a second view. How about that? <laughs> that works. You you put yourself through it not once, but twice. Um, but no, I hey, thank you for coming on. This was, this was great. Yeah. Um, We'll have to do it again sometime. Maybe get uh, a movie that you really enjoy uh, that I haven't seen. I'm, there, there are plenty of them out there. Um, yeah, uh, I've got some weird, obscure ones I can come up with, or uh, even some new ones you may not have seen yet. Sure, so. absolutely. And for anybody that doesn't, that maybe missed the top of the show, um, you go by BioCal. You're part of the the Tadpool, and uh, I see you in Diamond Club, um, Discords, and all of that. You wrote, um, you wrote. Showbot, right? Was that yours? Or uh, you maintain it? I, I wrote, um, yeah, showbot.tv. Um, so I wrote all the um, code and everything for that. Um, it's based on uh, something that um, another person in Diamond Club wrote. Uh, his name is uh, El Khalif. Okay. And he originally wrote it for um, I, uh, IRC chat. Oh, okay. Uh, so when, before Twitch was around and everybody was using IRC, um, you would submit something in it and it would go into his showbot. Um, and it was really just a single, single tool for a single IRC channel for everything diamond club. Oh. And then when everything started moving to Twitch, I kind of created my own version in his, his design, um, for Twitch, uh, that makes it easy for any streamer to basically set it up for their channel. Um, part, part of the reason I did that is because unfortunately El Khalif passed away a few years ago. Um, so he, I'm sure he would have done it if, if uh, he were around, but I did it in his, uh, you know, his memory. So, well, that's great, and it is a really cool uh, thing that you see in in some of these channels, and that's it's awesome. So, thank you for that and the work that you do on that. It's really cool. No problem. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on. So, so this show is recorded um, Sunday nights right here, Twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis, um, and then comes out as a podcast later on in the week. So if you ever want to catch us live, this is the place to do it. Um, coming up next week, I'm going to be talking about John Wick. Um, I found somebody who's never seen that movie before. So I've seen the first one, but not the, the two sequels yet. Um, so I might uh, I might do a whole John Wick marathon this week. Oh, yeah. That, I actually love those movies. Uh, you know, they're just dumb action movies and... and... You get a plot set up at the beginning and then lots of killing it through the middle and end. So, <laughs> yeah, yep. It's, it's all about the action and the stunt work, uh, in those movies yeah. and I'm all for it. Uh, so that's, what's coming up next week. Um, I also have started a new show, um, that will be recording tomorrow night and it's called let's watch Highlander. Um, myself and Audie Norman, uh, who's oddly normal one in the chats and on Twitter, the two of us are doing a Twitch watch party, and we are moving through Highlander the series episode by episode. So we started last week with episode one, The Gathering, and uh, it's fun. Um, that show is some 90s cheese, and I love every second of it. So we do we watch the episode as a watch party, and you can watch along with us. And then um, afterwards, we do a discussion and talk about break down the episode, talk about... Uh, things like the music or um the guest stars because there's tons of guest stars in that show a lot of musicians a lot of musicians did guest guest spots in there pro wrestlers too so really? that's a new yeah uh that, that's a new show that i've got started up so 
If you can make it for the watch parties, those are fun. Otherwise, it is a podcast that comes out on Thursdays, um, and it's called Let's Watch Highlander. So that is kind of what's on tap for me recently. Um, Do you have anything else besides Showbot you want to plug? Um, No, not much. Um, You follow me on Twitter. I'm BioCal there Um, in the various discords around town. uh, I've got Showbot at Showbot.tv, and if you happen to be hearing this before uh july 1st if you become a patron then i'll send you some stickers uh, no no time frame just join in the next couple of days and you'll get some stickers in the mail very cool well thank you again for being on we'll do it again sometime uh this was a lot of fun and uh our buttons went all the way i don't know what's going on here um yeah, so next, come back next week for John Wick because I think that's going to be a fun discussion um, with somebody who's never yeah, seen definitely. it before. Uh, so until then, I always like to say to everybody, enjoy your movies, and in this crazy time, be excellent to each other. Shit all over him. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> <laughs>